The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today is about self-love after a bad relationship or after abuse. And I just finished reading this beautiful book called Whole Again, Healing Your Heart and Rediscovering Your True Self After Toxic Relationships and Emotional Abuse. And it's by Jackson McKenzie. And he is joining us this morning from Boston, Massachusetts. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Jackson McKenzie is the co-founder of psychopathfree.com, an, M, an online support community that reaches millions of abuse survivors each month. Driven by his own personal experience, his mission is to spread awareness and give survivors a safe place to validate their experiences so that every empathetic person can find happiness and love after abuse. You can find out more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com and also at his website at psychopathfree.com. So thank you so much, Jackson, for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So how is it that you decided to write this book whole again? So um, initially, my first book, uh, Psychopath Free, focused really on um, the perpetrator and identifying the signs and red flags um, of a toxic or abusive relationship, um, especially with someone who has a serious personality disorder, like a sociopath or a narcissist. And what I found... Um, is that thousands of readers described a really similar experience um, that was actually more internal focused rather than external. Um, so less about the perpetrator that in the long term after those relationships, um, one of the most common things I heard was I missed my old self. That's almost like the old self had gone away or something had changed um, permanently because of that experience. And so I thought to um, identify what that was and what that long, long-term lingering uh, effect after abuse is and uh, how it can be remedied. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a divorce mediator. I'm an attorney, but I mediate divorce. And I see so many people <laughs> in toxic relationships. That's why I you yeah. know, really enjoyed reading your book. And I see these the various types of persons who you describe in this book. And I am, it, you know, it really resonated with me because I'm always telling people, you know, this is really a job for you to find out who you are. And, you know, maybe people miss who they were in the past, but when they come out, they're really like, 
the the butterfly. They're really they find themselves, but it's really their new selves, right? <laughs> Who they evolved to be, um, but they find their true self, and and that's what you talk about in in the book. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and you talk about the protective self and how listeners can identify it. You know, I have a friend who, um, she lost her first husband. He was in a car accident when they were like in their late 20s and she had a little baby with him. And that was bad. And then she had a series of really toxic relationships. And on one level, I know she says she wants to have a relationship, but I know on another, she's doing one of these things where you call the protective self. So can you explain that to my listeners and maybe they can identify with it? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I think one of the most common things that can happen when we experience uh, really significant emotional wounding or loss is that the pain is too much for the person to bear at the time. Um, and, and that could just be that they don't have the emotional tools um, yet to heal, and it's just not the right time because it's so overwhelming. And um, sort of like the body is just trying to help you, uh, a lot of times what it will do, especially in cases of trauma, is it will sort of uh, numb out that pain for you. But um, to make up for that numbness and to kind of keep you distracted from the pain, um, something else pops up. And it's been called a lot of different things in psychology and spirituality, um, the protective self, the ego, the false self. Um, but basically, it's this part of our minds that's in overdrive, and it's um, it's trying to keep us going so that we don't have to face that pain. And so you'll see people who are just busy 24-7, workaholics, um, people who are obsessed with maybe accomplishing or getting lost in their imagination, Um and, and it's really common for people to also turn to drugs and alcohol for distraction. Um, and so all of those kinds of distractions keep us away from um, the underlying pain. And so uh, identifying that protective self is really important. Um, and one of the ones you just described, which is really common, is um, when, when people feel that maybe they are worthless or not enough or rejectable, um, they take on this identity that is kind of helping people all the time and fixing people or saving people, um, which sounds nice, I guess, and on the high level, but uh, when it really comes down to it, that person often has um, a lot of their own unresolved uh, hurt and pain, and that tends to attract um, some pretty toxic people, the types of people who um, want your attention and want your sympathy and um, and want you to make them feel better uh, because you, for some reason, have learned that it's your responsibility to take care of others. Right, and you talk in the book about patterns. Like if we, you know, if you're not aware, if you're not really conscious of what you're doing, you have the same pattern. So you take yourself with you wherever you go, and you keep attracting the same, the same kinds yeah. of things. <laughs> you know, and I, I always tell my clients this. I said, you know, don't focus on what she or he is, you know, to blame for. Focus on yourself because if you change yourself, then you're not going to keep attracting this kind of craziness in your life in the future, you know? And and that's that's basically what you talk about too, which is, you know, you can you can really work on self-love and changing yourself. So, let's talk about um 
when we when we have this protective self, how is it that we can actually identify it in ourselves? It's so easy to identify something in somebody else and say, oh, she's codependent or she's narcissistic or he's, you know, abusive or whatever, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. how, how is it that we can really identify in ourselves what it is that we're doing if we're codependent or whatever? So that's a great question, and I think you're right. It's so hard to notice that in ourselves, especially because a lot of times that protective self is doing the thinking and the attempts at healing and the attempts at understanding. And so, um, for example, a perfectionist might approach um, this healing or identifying the protective self in a very perfectionistic way, like, oh, this must be why I do this, very analytical, very rigid, and um, you know, I have all the answers, it's X, Y, Z, and that's that, and put it in a nice box and put it away. Um, and so mindfulness, I think, is a hugely beneficial way to do this because what it does is it lets you kind of take a step back. Like if you imagine your body and mind in uh, a circle, it puts an extra circle around all of that. It's just noticing how the thoughts are going, um, maybe what's going on in the body. Um, and so it's not necessarily, you know, in the previous example about the perfectionist, it's not saying, oh, yes, I do this because of this, and um, I feel this way because of this. It's noticing those thought patterns. So it's noticing how you're approaching this healing um, and how you're thinking about this and tackling the issue and just becoming um, more and more, uh, I guess I would say non-judgmental, not focused around doing anything or changing anything, just noticing what's going on with the thoughts. And I think that um, as we do that, it's a really great way to start getting in touch with what's really happening. Yeah, that it's, I find it really, really helpful for people to do that. And for me to do that myself, when I'm uh, upset about something, I feel it in my solar plexus. And I just kind of go in within and just kind of breathe into it and kind of question, what am I really feeling here? What's really going on? You know, and uh, yeah. it, it it's some people think that, you know, they're contr- some people are really controlled by their thoughts and don't realize that they can change their thoughts and they can really be an observer of their thoughts. You know, they think that their right. thoughts are, are, are them, but really and truly right. their thoughts are just things that can be changed. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like anything else in the body, we train and teach it new patterns and new habits, and they start to become the new normal. Um, where people get stuck is that those negative uh, emotions, especially when they start manifesting as like depression and anxiety, is it convinces you that this is the ultimate truth, and you have to listen to it, and that the negativity is true, and that anything else you're trying to do is just like unicorn fluff to make it better. Um, and that's, again, where mindfulness is super helpful, because the mindfulness can let you notice all of those doubts and all of that agitation that's going on um, without having to say this is good or bad or I'm doing good or bad or I'm improving or not improving. All it is is just noticing it to start. Yeah, just being aware. You know, when you talked in, about your own story about, you know, uh, a love that, you know, really affected you for years and you had that pain in your chat, in your heart, um, kind of yeah. talk about that because I think people can maybe relate that, that you've, you had this that just kind of overwhelmed you. Yeah. And uh, it started pretty much right after the relationship ended. And for a long time, it really was just this very vague 
uh, tight, numb feeling. I wouldn't really classify it as good or bad. Um, it was just strange. And I also noticed, along with that, a lot of personality transformations. Um, I used to be uh, super outgoing and um, trusting, especially with like friendships and relationships and um, and really energetic. And all of that had kind of shifted into a much more isolated sense of self. I got um, lost in my imagination a lot. Um, and I just kind of figured, though, you know, this is just the, the healing process doing its thing until years later, I was still like, what is this tight feeling in my heart? That's so weird. And um, I wasn't really able to find anything. The doctor said it was fine, nothing medically wrong. Um, and that was uh, actually when my mom suggested um, a mindfulness book about the, the body and mind where uh, there were entire chapters about people who had these feelings in their chest or solar plexus, their core, their stomach, their throat. And I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. I don't think it makes any sense that, you know, we could feel something in our body when, you know, my, when it's not my mind, because my mind is fine. But that was just what was going on through my mind at the time that everything was fine. Um, but as I started to dig further into it and get more involved with the daily meditations and just keep uh, trying them, I found that that wound started to unnumb itself and it went from being tight unknown towards uh, this really horrible burning um, dread sensation that um, really scared me. And I realized that I had felt that um, a long time ago. It was uh, something that really just did not want to be felt at the time and went away. And when I got in touch with my body um, and really expressed interest in wanting to feel it, uh, it did start to reveal itself to me. Yeah. You know, body, mind, spirit, right? I mean, people get yeah. heart attacks from being just stressed, and that's in their mind, right? And and yeah. people get cancer from being depressed. I mean, all sorts of things. You know, we're just, we're just such a uh, unified person. It, they all affect each other. And so that's yeah. uh, something that we always have to remember, that what we think every cell in our body listens to, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. They're listening to the thoughts that are getting fed to them. So it's so true. And that's why we have to you know, really change our thoughts. Now you talk about the core wound. And um, so tell us about the core wound and how we can identify it. Yeah, so um, as we start to uh, let go of that protective self and our distractions and the wound begins to unnumb itself. Um, what I really see this as is it's been described again as a lot of different things, the core wound or toxic shame. Um, and it really, it's this concept of ourselves that has been absorbed um, either through external events or for just our own impression of ourselves that we are somehow defective and that something is wrong with us that needs to be hidden from the world. Um, and the reason we see it so often in toxic relationships, especially um, with like narcissists and sociopaths, is that um, the, the people in those relationships tend to be rejected or replaced or betrayed in very intense ways. Um, you'll almost always see these relationships end with some sort of infidelity where the person um, is being called crazy and that there's something wrong with them. And then they're rapidly replaced by someone who is declared as better than them. Um, and what that does, and sometimes unknowingly is that it creates this huge sense of inadequacy and rejection in the person who has been replaced. Um, they, they might just start to absorb this sensation or feeling that 
something's wrong with them and that they're not enough as they are. Um, and, and that's when that is so uncomfortable that the protective self starts to take over and tries to compensate for the wound and prove that the wound isn't true. Um, and, you know, we've brought up a few, the codependency, the perfectionism. Um, and you can even see that, though, in the personality disorders, this constant need for attention or sympathy. These are all distractions from um, I, what I believe to be a really deep wounding that has just not been um, explored. And a lot of those deep wounds really could come from our childhood, you know, and yeah. when we, you know, when we have these memories, like I remember when I went through my own divorce you know, I felt like, oh, you know, I had these, uh, you know, when I went back and really analyzed it, I could see that there were abandonment issues, you know, because I was a latchkey kid when there weren't latchkey kids. And then, yeah. you know, then I get abandoned by my husband. So, you know, you, you kind of repeat these patterns until you get to that core issue and say, aha, that's what exactly. it is. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, oh my goodness, so <laughs> this is this is what it is, and I don't need to do that anymore, or I need to be really cognizant of it. You know, finally, you know, I recognize, and I do a lot of this study, and I have a master's in psychology, so I try to, you know, incorporate that into my own life and into my own practice. But it's it's, you know, it's something that we have to like really go back and recognize and kind of say, aha, this was that issue that's going to keep coming up until I get into it, I understand it, and I recognize that this is just events that happen and I'm a good person and, you know, I'm whole and complete and all that stuff, you know, that you talk about being learning to unconditionally love yourself. So it's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. But, you know, even you talk about it at the end of the book, which, you know, I've come in my old age to realize is that, you know, we wouldn't be who we are, if we hadn't experienced these things. And for yeah. you, if you hadn't experienced what you hadn't experienced, in that deep pain, then you wouldn't have written this book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's when you start to see the whole, like you go from this mindset, which is really hard to let go of at first, of like betrayal and victimhood of right. what happened is unfair and um, why me and this, should, this isn't fair and right, this isn't right. right and right. I think as you start to adopt the mentality you have, it's a much bigger picture perspective. It's less about the individual loss or gain of, um, a specific relationship and more about realizing, especially like, it's hard to look at when those patterns keep happening yes. to think like, oh, it, this is so I can learn a lesson. A lot of times we'll just keep saying, oh my God, this just keeps happening. I am like a hopeless victim of the world. It just keeps attacking me. And, um, and, and then it continues and continues. But when we adopt the mentality that we're almost being given this opportunity to have that old wound be reactivated wherever it may come from, from childhood or an old relationship or a trusted caregiver, um, it really starts to let go a lot of that heaviness and a lot of that sense that everything that happens to us is um, out of our control or bad. Or everything that happens really is for us, for us to right. grow, right? For us to yeah. grow. And uh, yeah, so if you, it is the way we look at it, like we say, okay, this is painful, this is terrible, this feels uncomfortable, but what am I to learn? I think that's yeah. that's the the real issue that I've learned of you know doing thirty years of helping people through divorce and then watching them evolve and and blossom and even for my own life, 
that had I not gone through what I went through, I wouldn't be as empathetic now, and I wouldn't yeah. have the ability to really bring people to a, a higher level of of understanding and a peaceful divorce had I not been through such a terrible one myself, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's, everything in life happens for a purpose, but, um, but yeah, I mean, recognizing this and being, you know, you talk about being whole again, you're, you're whole renewed, <laughs> right? Because exactly. really yeah. and truly when people say, oh, I'm not, I want to get back to my old self, they damn well do not want to get back to their old self. <laughs> 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 they want to become the new self, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Like you said, the butterfly is uh, definitely desirable. Right. So, you know, in your research, you talk about some of the dysfunctional healing approaches you encountered. And what were some of those healing approaches? Are you talking about the, the, the things that people do that were protective or what are you talking about? In- oh, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest ones um, that we see, especially after a toxic relationship, is that um, uh, a lot of survivors of those relationships are really interested or drawn towards the idea of forgiveness or they hate the idea of forgiveness because well, you know, why should you have to forgive someone who's totally remorseless about what they did. Um, but the challenge that um, they tend to run into, especially people who suffer from um, kind of codependent qualities and like overly focused on other people, is that the forgiveness, while it's a healing approach, is actually approached from the dysfunctional lens of how the protective self works. So the protective self is kind of always distracted, and especially for um, someone with codependency issues, it's always focused on other people. And so forgiveness ends up being this, like, um, fantasized, like, tear-filled reconciliation where um, you understand the perpetrator and that they only hurt you because they're hurting themselves and um, and that you love them and your compassion, and you might even reach out to them. And what ends up happening is that the person will may come back into your life and do the exact same stuff to you mm. over again. Oh, yeah. Because it's this very heavy kind of sad approach to forgiveness that um, it's the kind of like you wouldn't expect an alcoholic to magically be cured because you love them and have compassion for them and understand them. And similarly, um, with these types of relationships, uh, if someone had a history of manipulating you or gaslighting you or abusing you, um, your love or understanding for them is not going to magically cure them. And uh, it may not even be true. We, we can do our best guess about someone else in their childhood and who they are. But the bottom line is that um, if forgiveness is something we want to approach, that letting go is just an, it's an internal process. It's one that doesn't you know, need to carry so much heaviness and um, emotion. It's a really like a freeing feeling. It's a, a light sensation of um, letting go of that, entire betrayal that happened, letting go of that feeling that, um, you know, bad or unfair things are happening to us and, and ultimately letting go of any lingering anger uh, that we might have with ourselves for, quote unquote, like allowing it to happen. Because um, a lot of times that is really what bonds us to um, that wound and the protector is that we're afraid if we let ourselves off the hook, um, that we'll go and do the same thing again. Right, right. Yeah, for me, forgiveness is really an important issue in, especially in divorce or in, you know, when people hurt you in any way. But it, yeah, but you 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 don't forget. 
(laughs) You forgive, but you don't forget. And that means that you don't forget to take care of yourself and not allow it to happen and set up boundaries. You can, you know, sometimes when somebody does something wrong, if they keep doing it and you keep forgiving them and they don't change, then, you know, you're being manipulated again, like you say. But real forgiveness is where you give it up. You give up the anger. You give up the resentment. You give up the the chains that that bind you to the past. Because, you know, because that's the part. If you have resentment, then you're living in hell, you know? Yeah. And and they may have, you know, they may go on with a, a new love or something and you're resenting. You're the one that's hurting. It's, you know, that old adage. It's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So you don't forgive because you're being, you know, magnanimous. You forgive because you want to let this stuff go because it's toxic for you, right? It's bad for the mind and the body. and, um, And sometimes it really takes a while for us to realize that. It took me a long time. I was like, I was not understanding why my thoughts were becoming progressively more negative and even like, paranoid and afraid of people and myself and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, really when you start to look at those feelings of resentment, they can do that to the, to the mind and body. They really cause, um, a significant amount of damage. Yeah. I didn't, you know, uh, when, when I got divorced, my husband had uh, taken off with his 22 year old secretary and I had a new baby and a six year old and I was very angry and I was very, I, you know, I wasn't into forgiveness and I realized I didn't like who I was becoming. And I finally said, I have to forgive, not for him, but for me, because it's, it's really disgusting what I'm finding myself doing. Like you, you, you know, you felt that way. And so I think that's what people have to realize. It's, it's a form of self-love to forgive and watch boundaries, which leads me to the next question, um, which we don't have a lot of time for, but I want to just bring up because it's so important, and that is boundaries. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So why don't you just tell a little bit about boundaries? Because I, I wrote a whole chapter on that in my newest book as well, on forgiveness and boundaries, because I think they are critical. <clears throat> yeah, and they go hand in hand. Like, you know, we can't just forgive and then not have boundaries or we're just going to be human doormats. And so there are people out there who will seek to manipulate and exploit if they can. And those boundaries, um, the body builds up boundaries for us if we're not taking care of ourselves. And that's where we see that rigid approach of resentment or um, even complex PTSD will start to manifest. Um, And those types of boundaries are very rigid and very unpredictable and volatile because they're basically, I've reached my breaking point. You've done this too many times and I'm going to have this emotional um, response and, and it usually tends to blow up and is pretty unpleasant for everyone. Whereas the more lighthearted boundaries and forgiveness are knowing what we, who we are, what we want, what we deserve and knowing that we deserve well and that we respect ourselves. And it's pretty easy when we get to that point to identify hey, this is okay, or this is not okay. And having that um, code of really what is okay for us and not um, is something that we can use with that observer that we've built up to just um, in a much lighter way say, hey, no, this doesn't work for me. And if someone 
lashes out because of that, then um, that's going to be on them to work through. Yeah. You know, I, I tell clients when, they, when they're when they starting to watch boundaries, they're afraid mm-hmm. that if they watch their boundaries, it's going to escalate conflict. So I have yeah. certain phrases that I tell them to say. One that's really powerful and it's so simple. It's, you know, I'm really not comfortable with that. How can how can you fight with yeah. that one, right? I'm not right. comfortable. You can't tell someone that they should be comfortable. And if you do, then you know that person's not a good fit. <laughs> right, right. That's one of them. And another one is if they tell you have to do this and you don't and you're like feeling like they're pressuring you, you just say, you know, I really need time to think about that. Yeah. So those yeah. are two simple yet very powerful ways of setting up boundaries that um, that people, I think that's my, at least in my profession, I just see people are so scared that the conflict is going to escalate. They don't know where it's going to go. So they they acquiesce to boundaries, you know? They, yeah. They acquiesce. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that dread or anxiety that someone gets when they sense a conflict is something really important to look at. And I, I know we're out of time. It's just, I would really recommend if, um, if someone feels afraid or senses a conflict and your first reaction is to try to avoid it or pad it or prevent it from happening, um, those are the kinds of things that are really helpful to use mindfulness to start looking into. Yes, and I, I'm going to mention your book again because it's time to go. Whole Again, Healing Your Heart and Rediscovering Your True Self After Toxic Relationships and Emotional Abuse by Jackson McKenzie. Great book, great examples, and great ways to do things. So just give your website and we got to go, okay? Great. Uh, yeah, it's uh, psychopathfree.com, and I really looking look forward to interacting with any of the readers. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch. So take care. Bye-bye. You've, Great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.